Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Pardons or prosecutions? Let's talk about that. Because justice matters. Hey all, Glenn Kirshner here. Welcome to my podcast, Justice Matters. Uh, As you may know, what I try to do is take my 30 years as a federal prosecutor and use what I learned uh, to help... Let me just start again. Hey all, Glenn Kirshner here. Welcome to another episode of my podcast, Justice Matters. As you all may know, what I try to do is um, take what I learned over 30 years as a federal prosecutor, you know, being inside the federal government, and use it to identify legal issues of the day, put them in a larger context, and then try to talk about some proposed solutions. And so today is a new day, right? We now have President-elect Joe Biden and Vice President-elect Kamala Harris. Um, I have to take a minute to say that having raised five daughters and one son, I am really thrilled that I can now turn to my girls, my daughters, and say with a concrete example, yes, you too can serve in the highest levels of our national government. And yes, it's vice president today, but boy, it's going to be president in the very near future. Um, But I am thrilled that that particular glass ceiling has been broken for women, for women of color, and I see a very bright future for the United States of America. Um, I want to give a shout out for a moment, if I can, to Team Justice, right? To my friends on Twitter, at Glenn Kirshner 2 we are well over 400,000. We're moving toward half a million Team Justice members on Twitter. Also, all of my friends on YouTube, uh, you all are good enough to drop into these daily YouTube videos that I post trying to tackle a legal issue a day. We've been doing that for something like 150 days now, and we will keep it up every single day, seven days a week. And then I really want to give a shout out to my team members on Patreon. Um, Patreon is a place where you can go, patreon.com, and you can support what is our all-volunteer effort um, here where we undertake to post a video every single day. You can sign up to become a patron, and if you choose to, to do that, I will send you a couple of Team Justice stickers with a personal note of thanks and gratitude. So if you want to support our efforts, you can go to patreon.com and become a Team Justice member. 
So I will say that Team Justice has been growing. It is fierce. It is strong. And we're taking on a number of projects. The one that you may have heard me talk about before is uh, what we're calling the Citizens Brigade of Court Watchers, which we're going to deploy hopefully after the first of the year to begin to hold Mitch McConnell's not qualified judges accountable. We can't sit on the sidelines anymore. It's time for the citizens to deploy and to really take part fully and aggressively and honestly in our government. Um, So that's one of the projects that we're working on. And please stay tuned for more information about how you can become a member of the Citizens Brigade of Court Watchers. And what our overall goal is here at Team Justice is to fight for accountability in government, fight for good government, fight for honest government, fight for government that makes the people proud, plain and simple. And on the topic of accountability in government, today I want to talk about pardons or prosecutions. And yes, I will be referring to my notes throughout, just as I did when I was a trial lawyer. I would occasionally check my notes to make sure I didn't miss anything. Um, But, you know, we'll cut all that out later. No, we won't. Um, But here is a number that I would like us all to keep in mind as we spend the next few minutes talking about pardons or prosecutions. And the number is 70 million. Okay, this is from our nifty graphics department. And this right here is my nifty graphics department. So um, we are low tech. In fact, low tech laughs at us for being so low tech. 70 million. 70 million is the number, the approximate number of people who voted for Donald Trump. And those 70 million Americans are disappointed today. They're disheartened. They're disgruntled. They're angry. They're hurting. And we need to keep that number, 70 million, in mind as we talk about the topic of pardons or prosecutions. And I'm going to circle back to um, that 70 million number toward the end of this chat today. But let me talk about pardons. And I am not going to pretend that as a former career prosecutor, I'm all good with pardons. Why is that? Well, you know, criminal prosecutions are a product of a lot of time, effort, energy, resources, and a lot of good government officials, whether it's FBI agents or DEA agents, ATF agents, Metropolitan Police Department officers, investigators, and detectives. Investigating crime, building a case, putting it together, bringing it to the prosecutor. And as the prosecutor, I would present all the evidence to the grand jury. I would try to decide if charges were righteous or not, if it was the fair, right, just thing to do by the alleged perpetrator and by the victim and by the community and by society. Was it the right thing for the American people? Because as a career federal prosecutor and assistant United States attorney, I represented the interests of the American people. That was my job. And if the grand jury decided 
to vote out an indictment and we went to trial, then, you know, holding somebody accountable for crimes is, um, it's quite a production, right? Judges and juries, court personnel, jurors, witnesses, uh, court staff, U.S. Marshals providing security, you know, and then ultimately if the jury convicts, you're going to pre-sentencing reports and sentencing hearings. And there's a lot that goes into a prosecution that results in a conviction. And a pardon sweeps that all away with a sign of a pen, negates it all as if it never happened. That's not to suggest pardons are never appropriate, but I want to acknowledge my view, if not my bias, that pardons with a sign of a pen can wipe away the work of literally thousands and thousands of people trying to seek justice for a crime, for a wrong, on behalf of victims, on behalf of the American people. Okay, so with that, I want to talk about the downside of pardons because we're going to have to wrestle with this issue concretely, I fear, very soon. So what are some of the downsides to pardons? Well, a pardon um, means that there is no deterrence of crime. So if you issue a pardon the wrongdoer is certainly not going to be deterred from doing crime in the future. He or she is not going to be dissuaded or discouraged from committing future crimes because they have been given a pass for their crimes. They will not be deterred. So that's what we call specific deterrence, specifically deterring the person who committed the crime. Pardons does away with that. Pardons do away with that. How about general deterrence? So general deterrence is the principle that um, if someone is convicted of a crime, other people who hear about that conviction, who are aware of that conviction, will generally be deterred, dissuaded, discouraged from committing those kind of crimes. So if you were to pardon a president for crimes he committed, then future presidents would not be deterred because they would know, hey, I can commit crimes. I can get all I want for myself, criminally, in violation of the laws of the United States, and I'm likely to get a pass just like that last guy, right? So it does not deter future crimes by others who find out that somebody got pardoned for their crimes. And not only does it not deter future crime, some might say it encourages future crime. If you know you can commit crimes with impunity, that you're going to get a pardon, that it's all going to be good because you're a high government official, so you can get away with crime and and be pardoned for your crimes, doesn't that tend to encourage future wrongdoing, future criminals? So pardons um, are bad for specific deterrence. Pardons are bad for general deterrence. Pardons are bad for accountability. Because there's no accountability for the wrongdoer if he or she is granted a pardon for their own criminal conduct. Pardons are also bad for transparency. 
Think about this. If you were to pardon Donald Trump and or his co-conspirators, aiders and abettors, um, accessories after the fact, his criminal partners and associates, if you were to pardon them all, then you will never know the full nature, the full extent, the full damage done by their crimes. Because if you pardon them, particularly before a trial, like Nixon was pardoned by Ford, not only before a trial, but before charges were ever filed against Richard Nixon, then you will never know the full nature, extent, and damage done by those crimes. Pardons are bad for transparency. So pardons are also bad for healing. If you grant pardons, if you never hold criminal wrongdoers accountable, then there can be no hope of healing for the victims of those crimes. And let me skip the campaign finance crimes that Donald Trump committed with Michael Cohen and the conspiracy to violate the campaign finance laws that Donald Trump committed with Michael Cohen. Let me skip the obstruction of justice, the 10 counts that were documented by Bob Mueller in volume two of the Trump-Russia report. Let me skip the countless crimes involving obstruction of congressional inquiries when Donald Trump told all of his executive branch officials do not comply with lawfully issued congressional subpoenas. That's the federal crime of obstruction of congressional inquiries. Let me skip over the obvious bribery and extortion and various conspiracies that go with that bribery and extortion of President Zelensky. Let me skip over all of the illegal profiteering, the contract steering to friends and family and associates of Donald Trump, the grift, the graft, the profiteering off of PPE contracts. Let me skip over all of that. Let me skip over the witness tampering that we saw, whether it was Michael Cohen's, I believe, father-in-law or Ambassador Marie Yovanovitch, who Donald Trump tweeted, tweeted intimidating um, tweets about her while she was testifying. That's witness tampering, designed to intimidate, chill the testimony of a witness. Let me skip over the tax crimes. Let me skip over everything, all of those crimes, because I want to talk about healing of victims in the context of the coronavirus pandemic. Because, you know, some people say that we just have to let bygones be bygones. We just have to pardon Donald Trump for all those crimes. Well, there's no bygones for a quarter of a, quarter of a million families who lost family members to the coronavirus. Their loved ones are just playing gone. What we know is that Donald Trump and Mike Pence, as the head of the coronavirus task force, hid from the American people back in January, February, March, the true nature and danger of the coronavirus. We know this courtesy of recordings 
that were disclosed by Bob Woodward of Donald Trump saying, Bob, Bob, this is bad. Do you know how deadly this is? It's so much more deadly than even your more aggressive flus, Donald Trump's word. Do you know how easily transmitted it is just by breathing? This is bad, Bob. It's dangerous. And then Donald Trump would walk out, look at the camera, and tell the American people there's nothing to worry about. It's going away like a miracle. It will soon be gone. We will be down to zero cases soon. No need to worry. And Mike Pence stood by silently and let those lies permeate the American people and the American psyche, putting us all in harm's way and leading to the needless deaths of tens of thousands, perhaps hundreds of thousands of Americans. A pardon for all of those crimes guarantees there will be no healing for a quarter of a million families and counting. And when it comes to healing, I don't know that any crime victim fully heals, particularly when it comes to homicide, when it comes to a loss of a loved one at the hands of violent crime. But you can't even take the first step on the road to healing without accountability for the perpetrator, for the crime. A pardon guarantees there will be no steps on the road to healing for the victims of Donald Trump, Mike Pence, and others. Um, Mismanagement, to put it mildly, of the coronavirus pandemic. So in short, pardons in pretty much every way make justice impossible. So pardons just don't sound like the way to go. Prosecutions. Well, prosecution of a wrongdoer, of a person accused of committing a crime, it promotes specific deterrence. In other words, it will deter that person from committing crimes in the future if he is prosecuted. It promotes general deterrence because it will send a signal to other future government officials, presidents, vice presidents, attorneys general, secretaries of state. It will send the signal to them that if you commit crimes while in office against the United States, against the the American people, in violation of our federal laws, you will be held accountable. You will be prosecuted and perhaps convicted and perhaps imprisoned. Well, boy, do prosecutions promote general deterrence. They deter others from engaging in those kind of crimes in the future. Prosecution makes healing for victims possible. Prosecution promotes good government. How does it promote good government? By exposing bad government. Because remember what I said about pardons basically short-circuiting our ability to learn the true nature, extent, and damage done by the crimes of our political leaders. Prosecution allows us to develop evidence of and see with our own eyes in court, in public settings, public trials, what these government officials did when they were committing crimes in high office. 
So that kind of transparency, airing the full nature and extent and damage done by these political criminals promotes good government. We will see what went on inside of bad government and we'll be able to deal with it and address it and hopefully put protections and safeguards in place to prevent it from happening again. Prosecution promotes good government. And prosecution holds the wrongdoer accountable. And isn't that just sort of a fundamental principle of the criminal justice system and of our, our, our civilized form of government holding a wrongdoer accountable for the crimes he or she committed in violation of the laws that we all put on the books through our legislators. It holds the wrongdoer accountable. Now, let me circle back to this number, 70 million. The 70 million people that just voted for Donald Trump, they are victims. They might not identify as victims. They might not feel like victims. They may get angry with you if you refer to them as victims. But when a president of the United States violates the federal law, he commits crimes against us. And when I say us, I mean both the U.S., the United States, and all of the people, all of the citizens. That's what a violation of federal law is. It is a crime against the people of the United States. So those 70 million people who voted for Donald Trump, like it or not, acknowledge it or not, are victims. And they deserve to be protected. They deserve to have their rights vindicated, just like the 75 million people who voted for Joe Biden against Donald Trump. We actually owe it to all Americans to enforce our laws against criminal politicians. Whether those Americans identify as victims or not, we owe it to all Americans. And Joe Biden has said he will be the president for all Americans, including, importantly, the 70 million who voted against him. And let me finish up, folks, by doing something that I've been back and forth on as to whether it makes sense in the context of this discussion. It's an analogy. And it's an analogy that I hesitate to use because it is um, not, it's an imprecise analogy when it comes to victims and how sometimes the system needs to move forward in cases even when the victims don't want to. And it's in the domestic violence arena. Now, please bear with me because I prosecuted a lot of domestic violence cases that sadly culminated in murder. And I was also my office's uh, point person for a number of years, this was decades ago, on a task force that was a domestic violence fatality review committee. And we did an aftermath, we did an autopsy of sorts, an administrative autopsy on what what led up to a domestic violence homicide that maybe could have been prevented with agency intervention somewhere along the way prior to 
the killing. And domestic violence is so pernicious and so horrific and such a difficult cycle to, to deal with and to break that I hesitate to use this as an analogy, but I'm already three steps into it. So let me just finish the thought. There were times when we would work domestic violence cases as prosecutors and the victim of the violence didn't want to prosecute. Um, and I won't go through the many reasons, but um, you know, the victim sometimes felt like they had no way out and they just had to continue to put up with those circumstances that they were um, enduring rather than cooperate in the prosecution of the perpetrator. And I could spend hours talking about that and the heartbreaking stories and cases that I dealt with. Um, and it was a whole lot harder for the victims and their families than it ever was for me as a prosecutor. But there were times when the victims didn't even identify as victims or didn't really want the case to be pursued by the government, by the authorities, by the prosecutor for any number of reasons. But the authorities, the prosecutor, the government had such an interest in addressing that crime and trying to break that cycle and righting a wrong, even if the victim didn't feel like he or she was fully on board with us. And that's how I see, at least in part, prosecution of Donald Trump and his corrupt associates. Because it may be the 70 million supporters of Donald Trump who just voted for him, if asked the question, should he be prosecuted, should he be held accountable for his crimes, would say, absolutely not. In fact, I wanted him reinstalled as president for another four years. But there are times when the levers of government, good government, honest government, ethical, law-abiding government, have to move forward to address crimes, even if everybody is not on board with it. Because it is our responsibility, it was my responsibility for 30 years as a prosecutor, and when I was an assistant United States attorney at the Department of Justice, on behalf of the American people, it was my job to do everything I could to address crime, even if everyone involved in the process wasn't necessarily excited about it, enthusiastic about it, on board with it. And that's the way I see prosecuting a criminal president and his co-conspirators and his partners in crime, his aiders and abettors and his accessories. It has to be done. It has to be done for all of the reasons that we just went through. Why pardons are so dangerous and damaging in so many ways and to so many people. And prosecutions as difficult and painful as they can be. Because yes, we want to put this behind us. We want to move forward. We are tired, sick and tired of the daily din of Donald Trump. But wiping it all away, turning the other cheek, letting bygones be bygones, you know, that's no different than getting a really bad diagnosis from a doctor and just wanting to close your eyes and turn away and pretend that the next necessary steps don't need to be taken. 
the next necessary steps need to be taken on behalf of all Americans, including, including and perhaps most importantly, the 70 million victims who are hurting today. Because it's, it's a bitter pill to swallow when your candidate loses. And, um, you know, in my book, when it comes to Americans, there are no us and them. They're just different kinds of us, different flavors of us. There, there are different us's with different ideologies and priorities and beliefs. Um, but we're all us. And, you know, I, I believe with all my heart and all my experience that the way for all of us to heal and to be made whole is by holding accountable all criminal politicians who just put America through so much over the past four years. Folks, as always, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. I hope I didn't overstay my welcome today. I know this is a slightly longer podcast on Sundays. Um, please stay safe. Better times are coming. Not going to be easy. Not going to be easy. But we are now on the right track, I believe, to better government. Um, and I look forward to talking with you all again tomorrow. Tomorrow.